the Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter, Jesus said, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons, in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is the gospel of the Lord. If you're like me, you always, your ears perk up when you're watching a TV show or a movie and the Lutheran church comes up. It's not often, it's not really the stuff that good TVs or movies are made of, but once in a while we get a passing reference because, well, we are indeed a cultural thing as much as a religion. There are Lutherans in the country, and so you'll often find references to them. One of the more famous ones that maybe you saw it when it aired live 30 years ago or you've seen it since is on the TV show Cheers. Any of you watched that here back in the day? Well, there was this episode where... The conflict in the background, of course, of the greater story of the show was Woody and his new wife, Kelly, were having a fight. And the fight was, after they got married, they found out that they were different religions. Everyone's like, what do you mean? I thought you were both Lutherans. And Woody says, well, I'm Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and Kelly is Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And so the whole show has to do with this disagreement that they had. They thought they were together, and lo and behold, they are not. And they have some really inaccurate things that they say about what the two differences are, but beside the point, you can't expect them to be, effort, uh, to be experts on the subject matter. Another favorite reference to Lutherans in recent media is the show Catch Me If You Can, or the, the movie Catch Me If You Can. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio. He's a confidence man, goes around the country, and of course earns people's confidence, takes their money, and then moves on to the next town. And there's one little episode in the show, in the movie, where he goes to Louisiana, he pretends to be a lawyer to get in with the parents of this girl that he likes. And he, of course, makes up this whole big lie about his whole life up until that point, the schools he's gone to and the things he's done. And to get in with them, he says that he is, just like them, a Lutheran. And of course, he's welcomed into the family with open arms, and things are going well until he's about to be caught. The, Police are showing up to arrest him, and he has this big confession to his girlfriend in the house, and they're having this engagement party for the two of them, and 
He says, it's all fake. I didn't go to Harvard. I'm not a lawyer. I haven't tried big courts, uh, cases in court. And it's all a big lie. And then she's there trying to process it. And then the only thing that comes out of her mouth is, you're not a Lutheran? That was the disappointment for her. And the last one, of course, uh, today, and the one that I'm going to use just for my brief illustration is the movie Gran Torino, starring Clint Eastwood. Okay, it's about a guy who's in a changing neighborhood in Detroit, and he's kind of a grumpy old veteran, I think, of the Korean War. And he befriends this kid that he caught trying to steal his car, Gran Torino. And they're driving around the neighborhood after he's kind of taken him under his wing, and He's like, well, where did you guys come from? And he's like, well, uh, Southeast Asia. I think it's Vietnam or something. And, and he's like, well, why are you here? And he says, well, the Lutheran Immigrant and Refugee Service brought us. And Clint Eastwood has this great line, everybody blames the Lutherans. <laughs> now, if you haven't seen that movie, it's a good movie. And I must apologize. In order to make the illustration, I kind of have to have a spoiler. So uh, <laughs> send your nasty letters to 120 East Hickory Street. Um, but it's a great movie about self-sacrifice. Clinton, the end of the movie, uh, dies to help protect this guy from a gang, this kid that he has befriended. And at the very end of the movie, when Clint's estate is being settled up, his kids that have been kind of absent and indifferent to him throughout the movie, not really, I'd say, necessarily involved children, they're shocked to find a couple of things. Uh, number one, he gives his house to the church. He leaves his house not to them, but to the church. And Number two, his car that he loves so much, he leaves to the kid who tried to steal at the beginning of the movie who he befriended. He passes it on to him. Essentially, the kid is the new beneficiary over and against the family. Now, there's other problems with that, but for the sake of argument, let's just go ahead and say that's just great. <laughs> but swapping like that is kind of a theme in the Bible where you see one beneficiary removed and another one taking his place. Right, we talked about this last week when we have that very known line, the first will be last and the last will be first, Jesus says. And time and time again, especially in the first few books of the Bible, you see this theme where the older son is passed over and the inheritance and the blessing given to a younger son. A greater is passed over for a lesser. Think of the story of David, right? He wasn't the oldest of his brothers, but he was the brother who was so young and unimportant that when it came time to pick to anoint the guy who'd be king after Saul and Jesse brought out all his sons, he didn't even bother to fetch David. That's how little David mattered, the David who would become the great king. And you'll often see, indeed, positions of privilege which are lost to those, to people who had no privilege. The lower elevated and the exalted are taken low. Now, of course, we all here know very, very well, I certainly hope, that the world's Redeemer, Christ, Jesus, was promised to and through one man's family, namely Abraham. God said to him, essentially, it's going to be through you that the promise that I gave to Adam and Eve in the garden is going to be fulfilled. He says, your seed will be a blessing, a blessing to the whole world. And that goes on. The specific promise is given. Isaac's own son would be promised to have the blessing. It would be not just through Isaac's own son, but even Isaac himself, Abraham's blood son, not Hagar's son, Ishmael, or Sarah's own son, rather. 
And then, of course, Jacob, the younger of the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, he would be served by the older, Esau. This humble being exalted. You see the theme here. And the lion of Judah, Judah's son of Jacob, would be the one through whom the lineage would come. And then finally, David's own son would sit on his throne forever. The family matters is what I'm trying to say here. The lineage, God gave this promise to them time and time again saying, through you, through you, through you, will this great blessing come into the world. And yes, even Jesus sums it up so well when he has that interaction with the woman at the well in Samaria. Salvation is indeed through the Jews. But this has always been true. Salvation is not only for the Jews. All people, all humans were always meant for redemption, to have the possibility of a place at God's eternal banquet open to them. And that is indeed also, in the mixture of all these promises about this family, the fact that it is universal for all people who come to a saving knowledge of God, it's open for us all. It's all over the Old Testament. Indeed, the scriptures say that God's house would be a house of prayer for all peoples, all nations. You have in the Old Testament, along with all these very specific promises to the Jews about the lineage and their lineage and the Christ coming through it, you have examples, allowances and provisions for what happens when Gentiles, non-Jews, come to faith and come into the holy Israel. You have Ruth, the Moabitess, who comes in and is herself an ancestress of David, King David. You have Rahab, one of the Canaanites who is spared at the Battle of Jericho, also listed in the lineage, the blood lineage of our Lord. And that's just to name a few. And of course, like I said before, you have Genesis 3 itself. Not just a specific family, sin and death would be taken care of when the seed of the woman crushed the seed of the serpent's head, but all of humanity, everybody who is a human, would have their sins paid for, their death undone, through the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. And that's the backdrop for today's lessons that we read this morning. The Pharisees and the priests and the Sadducees, they forgot that Israel has a really bad track record with fidelity to the Lord. Time and time again, they just can't cut the mustard when it comes to being a faithful people to God. They are warned that though, yes, they and their family did have that messianic promise that one day the Savior of the world would come through them. They were warned, though, that the blessing and status that they enjoyed as God's special people set apart was a probation of sorts, a probation that was conditioned on their fidelity to the Lord that set them aside. It was as if the Lord were to say to them, you must be faithful to me, regardless of your sensibilities, regardless of your own ideas of what that fidelity looks like, or you, as a people wholesale, read Deuteronomy, it's right there, will be rejected and cast out of my good graces and favor. And indeed, that is what happened. Israel, as a nation, as the ethnic nation, was unfaithful to the Lord. Though favored tenants of his vineyard, they were wicked. And time and time again, they persecuted the prophets, rejected their words. Yes, they even killed some, as Jesus says. And finally, just as his parable reflects, 
When, his own, when, their, when the master's own son came to collect the fruit of his vineyard, what did they do? They killed the son himself. Indeed, it is true, though. The language of Psalm 118, the rejected stone that the builders rejected, has in fact become what? The cornerstone. Such is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, because of all this, how they treated the Son of God, the Messiah that they had been given and promised and waited for when he came, when Jesus came and their rejection of him, there are two results. And the first is the obvious one. They themselves, as a people, were rejected by the Lord. The status that they enjoyed up until that point of being blood descendants of Abraham, the great prophet, the great patriarch, after Christ, invalidated and meaningless. It's not worth a hill of beans to be a descendant of Abraham if you do not believe in the blood of Jesus Christ as an atonement for your sins. The Jews have, for 2,000 years, as it were, been removed from being the tenants of the Lord's vineyard. The Messiah, Shiloh, had come, he had been rejected, and the ruling scepter did what? It departed from Judah. But the second result is that the privilege that they had enjoyed and the possession of God's name and kingdom was not just taken from them, but it was given. Given to the Gentiles. Or really, to be more fair and more accurate, given to anybody who feared, loved, and trusted God above all things, be we Jew or Gentile. What glory the Jews had in being Abraham's son was lost because they rejected the promised seed and those who have accepted him now have that glory. It is the Holy Christian Church. The lesson, I hope, is an obvious one for us. It's still applicable to us today. Sometimes I preach on texts like this, and it's like, all right, that sounds like a great lesson for people who lived 2,000 years ago. It seems to be who Jesus was talking about. It applies to us just the same. Though we, here today, are a part of the church, the new Israel, as it were, and we have old Israel's honored place, can we not still make the same mistake of the Jews of Jesus' days, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Of course we can. The Jews rejected Christ and they lost their tenantship. Are grafted in Gentiles immune from the same heir? Paul asks and answers the question in Romans. No, absolutely not. We who are grafted in, can we not also be ungrafted, removed? Yes, of course, we are the Christian church, the body of Christ by faith. We are here clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, covered in him and his atoning blood, we have the promise and the possession of forgiveness, life, and salvation. But that promise can indeed be forfeit, given up, should we not continue all the days of our life in this repentance and faith. If we treat the master in our own personal lives and his servants who bring his word to us, how the tenants and the parable treated them, how the Pharisees and the Sadducees treated the prophets and Jesus, will we fare any differently than those wicked tenants? To be sure, we will not. And so, let's thank God. He's given us a very good lesson of the ditch to avoid. Let's take the Lord's parable and Israel's rejection of the Lord as a good lesson and a great warning for us. 
what has been given to us as a gift and a trust, let's not assume it, take it for granted, put it on the shelf and think it's always going to be there, but rather let us treasure it in our collective lives as a congregation, in our individual lives as individual Christians who will one day, each of us, stand before the throne of God in heaven. Let us love the master, not resent him, but love the master who has given us this trust. Though we were not a people, as Paul says to the Philippians, now we are a people. We have received his mercy. We are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So let us, Gentile Christians, in our lives, and our faith, ever prove that that is true. Let us be receptive to the Lord, the Master, his servants, and his Son, and glory. Glory in our tenantship, not for our own selfish gain, but for the sake of him who died for us, so that we might be redeemed eternally, so that one day, on that great day, when we stand before him, we will enter into his throne and his kingdom forever. Amen.